Let me go back to last week just real briefly to kind of recapture where we were at last week, start a new sermon series called You Got This. The idea behind this sermon series is that you got this. You can tackle 2019 if we understand that we have a great team that we work with. Talked last week about some great teams. Maybe yesterday as you were uh, around the house and, and it's been snowed in, maybe you turned on television, you saw a basketball game, maybe your team won, maybe your team lost. Maybe it was the NFL football, your team won or, or your team lost or your team never made it like mine to the, to the playoffs. But as we look at teams and the concept and idea of, of a team, there, there are some things that make teams really strong and there are some things that make teams really weak. There's some teams that, things that make teams the greatest team of all time and, and the not so great teams of all time. And so we apply that concept, that idea of the team to us in the church and especially us in our relationship with God to say we have a great team. We have a great team, and, and we can tackle 2019, or we can say, we got this, or you got this, because of the team that we interact with and the team that we have a relationship with if we are in Christ. Last week we talked about it. There's three parts or four parts of the team. There's who? Oh, i got to go back to last week's lesson. Who's the first part of the team? God. Who's the second part? Jesus. And who's the third? And then who's the fourth? You, right? Me. So we together become a team. Now, the team is actually bigger because then as part of a church, we're, we're all part of that team. Uh, as Christians, we're all part of the team. So the, the team of God is, is a pretty stinking big team. Last week, we went through Acts chapter 2. Go back to Acts chapter 2 with me for a moment. And remember, Peter preached that great message when he stood up in the face of all those who were opposing Christ. And he stood up before the religious leaders of the day, and he pointed the finger at them and said, you're the one that put Jesus Christ on the cross. It was your fault that he died. And then he tells the whole story about he, he was put in a grave, and he rises three days later. And the people there are convicted of their, of their sin. And what do they do? They ask, what must we do? And Peter said, you need to repent. You need to be baptized. He said, repent and be baptized. In other words, admit you're wrong. Admit what you did and then be baptized. Submit your life to him and say, all right, I want to follow him. And now, today, we're going to dive into how do we get connected with this team and grow with this team that we have, God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Because many times we hear that, well, you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we go, well, what does that mean? What, what do I do with this team? How do I interact with this team? How do, how do I, I grow with this team? And so over the next few weeks, I want to give you elements that will help you grow with the team, that will help you get stronger with that team so that you will function at your highest capacity that God has planned for you. So after they repent and baptized, then uh, it says 3,000 were added to that number that day. 3,000 new Christians. What do they do with 3,000 brand new babies in Christ? Can you imagine being on that hospital wing? How do you take care of 3,000 new babes in Christ? And so he lays out the plan in Acts chapter 2. And it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, what they did is they went from big to small. 
They went from 3,000 people coming and repenting and being baptized to saying, let's go into homes. I mean, you stop and think about that. They didn't take 3,000 people and say, come on, we're all going to Bolton's house. There's no way my house will hold them. There's no way your house will hold them. And so this says they, they broke down to smaller gatherings where they've spent time in the Word and fellowshipping and hearing the teachings and prayers. And you say, why is that? Why would they go from the big crowd to the small crowd? I believe they did it because there's power in small. There is power in small. You, you've probably heard the saying or, or something like it that, that you, you may be small but mighty. And you see some people sometimes on a sports field, and you go, man, that person is only five foot eight, but look at them tearing somebody up on a basketball court or on a football field. So there's, they went small. You, you think about it with me. Gideon, uh, Gideon's army in Judges chapter 7, God's strategy for victory was reduce the army from 30,000 to 300. Now, there's no way that we would think that's a wise military strategy. Hey, we're going into battle. Let's not take 30,000. Let's just take 300. We would all say, you're crazy. If our president said, hey, we're in a war, and we're only going to take 300, we'd say, you're a foolish president. But God said, hey, some of you are going, let's not go that way. <laughs> God said, let's move it from 30,000 to 300 people. David and Goliath, nine-foot giant Goliath, coming out and yelling at the armies of God and threatening the armies of God. And who goes and takes him out but a small little boy? Not some other giant, not some other great fighter, but a small little boy who even said, I can't wear all this armor gear, take it all off, just give me my stones, my slingshot, and I'll go out there and I'll fight him. And he takes out the, the giant and he cuts his head off. Small things but mighty. In Bethlehem, Jesus is born in this tiny little town. Tiny little town. Rather, rather small. Now we would think, man, Jesus, he's probably going to come to the biggest city there is, to the nicest hospital there is. But he goes to the little town of Bethlehem when he is born. The feeding of the 5,000. Didn't start with the big feast. It started with a, a boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. And God took that small little lunch and multiplied it to feed the 5,000. And then I love when the Scripture says they collected what was left over, and they had 12 basketfuls that were left. And so God gave them more than they could possibly need. You go through the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, and Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 4, and Acts chapter 5, and Acts chapter 6, and Acts chapter 21, records the amazing growth of the first church, and how much the church just exploded, and how much the church grew. And it is believed that during the first 25 years of the Jerusalem church, it grew from 120 people to over 50,000 people. How would you possibly care for that many people? They knew we can't do it in big. we got to go small. They put people into groups. We call them small groups. Church today, terminology you hear is small groups, or for some it would say Sunday school, or for some churches they call them maybe a Bible fellowship. We've called them growth groups. The answer is that we as a church, if we're going to grow and be impactful in our walk with God and be impactful in a city, in a community, you have to go from the big, you have to go to the small. Because you can easily sit right here and you can receive a message and hear a message and go home and not interact with God's Word or not really change at all and just kind of continue on the journey. In the first church, the small groups, that was the basis for their ministry and their fellowship. Now, I'll just tell you right now, there's no way we could get every single one of you into a small group here that's, that's sponsored or put together by Centerpoint. You say, why is that? Because we need more leaders and more homes. 
See, if we had more leaders and more homes, we'd have room for every single person. We're going to be uh, showing you the guide and everything, but out there in the lobby, you'll see there's 17 groups. If we all filled those up, then we'd be overfilling houses and overfilling locations. But that's what they did. They went from big to small. Let me talk this morning about why small groups are so powerful and why I think you need to be in one in 2019 and why it's going to help you grow with your team. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and their prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Can you grow spiritually without ever being in a small group? I I guess you can. I, I suppose that's possible. But how can you know that you're actually growing spiritually unless you're in a small group? It's hard to know that because if you're not in relationship with other people where they can help you see some of your blind spots, and help you see how you're growing, it's hard to see that just by yourself. I mean, how do you know if you're good at a certain sport? I remember uh, my son and I have talked about this a few times, but I remember years ago I used to think I was a pretty good ping pong player. And I played ping pong, I'd win some games, win quite a bit, and I got involved in a ping pong league. So when I was a youth minister, I was terrible. I was absolutely horrendous. I thought I was a good ping pong player, but I wouldn't know that until you go and play somebody. Or, or you may think, man, I'm a really good basketball player. Well, you don't know that until you get on the court with some other people. Then you know I'm good or I am not good or I need to grow or how can I improve. Same thing with small groups. You may think, man, I got this thing all conquered. I've got this thing with God all together. I go to church and I sit and, and I sing some songs and I, and I hear a sermon preached and I'm good. I'm good, but you really don't know if you're good until you get around some other people and you start discussing God's Word and you allow your your life to get opened up to somebody. Now, let me clarify something with you. Small groups being powerful to grow spiritually are only that way when they're done right. When they're done right. By small group done right, I mean it's where there's a healthy balance between Bible study, between fellowship, between ministry, between outreach, between worship. It was what's going on inside of that small group. Our small groups here are not made to be just Bible study groups. You say, well, well, why is that? Why is that? I think you can study the Bible on your own. You say, really? Yeah, there, there are so many helps out there today of studying the Bible, from Christian television to radios to, to videos you can watch to podcasts you can download to, to things you get on YouTube. There are so many options that you can study the Word of God. And you can study the Word of God and, until you're blue in the face. You can do that by yourself. So when you come together with a group, you're saying to a group, listen, I want to grow, and so I study God's Word, and we study it together. But then how do we apply this? And see, in a group, you, can't, you, you can only fellowship in a group. You can't fellowship just by yourself. And so growing uh, spiritually takes a fellowship of a group. Doing outreach, doing ministry into your city. We ask all of our groups to do some kind of ministry in our city. Now, is, can I do that by myself? Yeah. But the chances are pretty slim that you'll do it by yourself because we tend to go with what's easy. And we say, well, I think I'm going to go serve the soup kitchen or I'm going to go help out with this or help out with that. But most likely we'll do that when we do that with other people. And say, let's go do this together and have an impact together. And so a small group is a great place to grow spiritually. Going to a small group is like going to the gym. It's a place to exercise your spiritual muscles. First Timothy, Paul said, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holy promise for both the present life and a life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in a living God who's a savior of all people, and especially those who believe. A small group where you come together, you get a chance to exercise some spiritual muscles. This is where you sit down and look at God's word. How do we apply that today? 
how are you applying that verse in your life? And how are you applying that verse in your life? And how are you applying that verse in your life? Oh, I never thought of it that way. That could, that could change my outlook, could change my thinking. How do I apply? That's why small groups are so important. That's why we, we have the, the base of our small group and our growth group ministry, because we talk about it on Sunday, and then you get a chance to study it, and then you go in a group and try to work at applying it. So how does that passage apply? Second reason I think small groups are super powerful is because you grow relationally. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So you can't get to know another believer unless you're in a small group with them. I mean, we may see each other here on a Sunday morning. We walk in, hey, good morning, how you doing? Good morning, how you doing? I'm doing good, I'm doing good. Did you have a good week? You had a good week. And then we sit down, and what is church? We sit in rows and stare at the back of each other's heads. Stop and think about it for a moment. We sit in church and we hear a message proclaimed. We, we sing some songs and we may say hi to some people, but you really don't get to know people. You really don't get to go in a depth in a relationship. And so small groups are so uh, important because you get to know each other. I've been on some sports teams where we had some very average players, but we had a great team because of the camaraderie and the relationship. You know what we did? Outside of practice, we went and did things together. We went out to eat together. We went and played other sports together. We went to the movies together. We developed relationship. We developed relationship off the court or off the field. It's amazing how much better a team can be. And so small groups is kind of that. We come together as an entire big team, and then we go into our groups we develop some relationship. Other believers can't get to know you unless you're in a small group. This is a great place to hide. You say, what are you talking about? The, the church is a great place where you can easily hide. You can sit in here and you can amen and you can nod along with the sermon and, and look very Christian. But it's when you get in a small group and you start getting honest with people and you talk about some of my fears, you talk about some of my worries, you talk about some of my strengths, some of my weaknesses, you, you share life, you share your joys, you share, share your struggles, and you start sharing it with somebody, then God will start doing the work. Other than that, you can sit in rows forever and hide and not really deal with what's going on inside of here. And so those small group relationships help with that. I mean, you consider a marriage. Imagine in a marriage if the only time you saw each other was on Sunday mornings between, say, 10.30 and 12. What kind of marriage would that be? Pretty weak, wouldn't it? It'd be a marriage that wouldn't last. See, all the believers were connected in small groups, and everyone's needs were being met. How do we discover each other's needs when we're sitting in a circle and we say, listen, my car broke down. Hey, listen, my heater's struggling. Hey, listen, we're struggling to have some food. Hey, I, I could really use some help with some child care. And what needs do I have that only can be met in a small group? So we come alongside and we support and encourage one another. There's the need for accountability. You and I need accountability. We need people asking us, how are you doing? We need people saying, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing mentally? How are you doing physically? How are you doing emotionally? How are you doing? Galatians 6.1 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. How are you doing in your walk with God? And a small group is supposed to be a place where you can say, you know, I've been struggling in some areas lately. I really could use your prayers. I could really use your help. And it says, according to Galatians 6.1, if someone's in that sin, what you do? You restore them gently. You come along them gently. You don't beat them up. You don't try to knock them over the head at the Bible. You, you come alongside them and encourage them and get out of that sin pattern or whatever sin they've been messing with. The need for encouragement. Who in here does not need encouragement? 
I mean, we live in a pretty discouraging world from turning on television and getting on the internet, reading news stories, going to school, wherever it is. Encouragement is lacking these days. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in a habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so when you come to a small group, it should be a place when you walk out of there, you go, man, I feel like I'm kind of walking on cloud nine. That was great to go and be around those people. It just really lifted my spirit. I know for me, there's times when I don't feel like going. I don't want to go. And I walk out and go, man, I am so glad I went to group tonight. So glad that I got together with some other Christians. It's a time of encouragement. And then the need for ministry opportunities. We need to exercise our spiritual gifts. And we need to grow in that. And we, and we do that when we're in relationships. A small group is the best place to discover and develop your spiritual gifts to see how did God put you together. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us the Holy Spirit displays power through each of us as a means of helping the entire church. And so when you're in a group together, you start discovering, well, what are you strong at? What are you strong at? How do we minister together within our strengths, within our, within our gifts? Now, the third reason for small groups is that it's a way to grow numerically. It's a strong way to grow numerically. 2.47, Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added their number daily, those who are being saved. It's interesting. It says, added to the number daily. It didn't say add their number only on Sunday. A small group that is functioning, right, will be reaching out to some neighbors, be reaching out to some coworkers, be sharing the message of Jesus. And can the church grow numerically without groups? Yeah, I imagine it can grow. But if God were looking for a church to lead people to, would he be, rather lead them to a church with healthy small groups or one that had no groups at all? I think as you look at the pattern in the book of Acts, I think he's going to say, man, good, if I get the, that person over there, then there's a, a place for them to grow, a place for them to walk, a place to have people put their arms around them and help them, encourage them, and guide them. And so I think he's going to lead people to churches that are being healthy in small groups. And notice, just notice it was a daily thing. This thing of adding daily, the church should be growing by reaching more people on a regular basis should be a daily thing. Your small group should be caring about the community in a way that the community goes, who, is, who are those people? Who, who are they serving? Who are they worshiping? Who's leading that group? Is it Jesus? And that people would come to know who that group is. Small groups are a powerful way to grow numerically because the majority of outreaches that we try to do, we try to do them through our small group. We start, many of our outreaches start with a small group. We say to them, hey, listen, we want you to do something serving in the city. And as they start serving the city, sometimes that will grow. For instance, our backpack ministry that started several years ago with doing five backpacks that now they're doing close to 30 every single week. Well, that's grown beyond a small group handling it, and there's been others who have jumped in, and so we brought it then to the, to the larger congregation. But see, in a small group, you should be thinking, how do we get out in this community? Each small group needs to be thinking of creative ways. How do we go in the community, and how do we love our community? Because God can do more through a few people than he can do through many. I want you to pick up on, the, on your chairs. There's a flyer right there. Can, can I use one of those, Mike? <clears throat> There's a flyer that looks like this. We made some adjustments to our groups for this season. Um, we've been uh, really pushing the growth groups, and I, I would still say the growth groups are kind of the bread and butter of our group ministry, but we're going to see our group's ministry start to change and, and navigate a little bit differently. And a, a growth group, when we start the growth groups in February, you'll have in your bulletin, you'll have a guide with some questions, some personal study. And then you take those questions home and you can take them to a growth group that always will align with whatever I'm preaching on, whatever the sermon is. So if I talk about love on that day, your study for that week's going to be love, and you're talking about love inside of your small group because that's where your group can, can really hash that out. And as you can discuss it and study on your own, there's a better chance of that sticking into your head and actually um, 
making movement happen. Now, the new thing we've added on is we have women's groups. And many of you ladies were at the Adorned event on Friday night. You can stop at the table and see what they're doing. But they've off, they're offering five different groups at five different times. That's just for ladies, high school age and above. So the ladies can get together in relationship. And there's a need for that. There's a need where lady to lady can get together and just share life. And so that need's been growing. And so these five groups have gotten started. And then there's a men's group that's been meeting casually. And we said we need to start promoting it, sharing it on Tuesday mornings, uh, getting together to pray for this congregation and to be in God's word. And so we invite you to participate that. Uh, in that men. And I had someone say to me out in the lobby, he said, Brian, why don't we have more men's group? I said, because we need more men to lead. And guys, we would love to have more groups. So if you say, if you feel like, man, I'd like to lead a group of something that's for men, we'd love to help you start a group like that. But there's 17 opportunities for you throughout the week. It says they met daily in homes. For some of you, I know you'll say, man, I'm going to sign up for two groups. Some of you say, I, I can handle one right now. But it gives you an opportunity to meet throughout the week with other Christians to grow and do exactly what they did in early church. Church, I got to tell you, groups started for me when I was 12 years old. My mom and dad took me to a small group, before small group, before it was even called small groups, really. Took me to a small group, and I sat with some adults, and I thought, what am I doing here? And that small group loved me to death. They made sure I was fed. That was a good thing as a 12-year-old. Had lots of snacks out, and they always pushed extra over towards Brian. Brian will eat that. Brian will eat that. But that small group put their arm around me. That small group encouraged me as I sat there with those adults and going, why am I here? And as they read the Word, and as they studied the Word, and as they fellowshiped together, they included me in all of that. Now, sometimes people will ask us, they'll say, well, which group is for senior citizen, or which group is for the young marriage, or which group is for the singles? I can tell you, at center point, we don't classify the groups that way. And we don't do that on purpose because we think that healthy community, you have grandmas and grandpas with teenagers. Healthy community means that we have the olders with the youngers. We have a mix of that all in between. Now, birds of a feather do flock together. So sometimes some of the groups do kind of start going towards what kind of one stage of life. But I believe the most healthy groups is when you have a spread of the stages of life in there because we need to learn from one another. And so our groups are purposely not set up that way. So you just kind of look at a date and look at a time and location and work for you and say, that's what I'm going to jump into for this semester It'll be very healthy for you. That's what changed me. 12-year-old hanging out with those who are 30 and 40 and 60 years old. I know today I am, I am one of the reasons why I'm, I'm in ministry is because of that small group that just say, hey, we're going to love on this 12-year-old. We're going we're to appreciate this 12-year-old. And that's what can happen. Your life can be changed when you say, I'm going to get committed to a group. I'm going to be part of it. I'm going to invest my life into that. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? <coughs> <coughs> Father God, you have the right plan, Lord. You have the right direction. When your church first began, new Christians were coming left and right. God, you broke them down into groups where they could fellowship and break bread and study the word and do ministry together. Lord, and that model still works today because it's your model. God, would you help us to embrace that fully? For some, Lord, in this room, I know it's a regular part of our life, and sometimes we're tempted to say, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Lord, help us overcome that temptation and stay healthy by being part of a group. I know, Lord, for some in this room, sometimes we, we have reasons like being too busy. Lord, help us to knock other things out of the way. They're not as important. Help us to set them on the side so that we can make priority to gather together, to be part of part of a group that will help me grow in Christ. Father, we want to grow with this team. 
We want to grow with God. We want to grow with Jesus. We want to grow with the Spirit, Lord. One of the great ways we do that is by being in a group. So, God, I pray and ask that you would move in some hearts and minds today, and as we depart from here, that many would stop and, and get involved. Lord, I pray that 100% of us would say, I'm going to get plugged in a group somewhere, and we take that serious and make that a regular part of our life. Father, help us to follow your example in this. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our servers are going to come and bring communion to you. I just want to ask you to spend some time, because in Acts chapter 2, it said they, 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 they were convicted, and then they spent time repenting. Just ask God the question today in your, in your time of communion, God, is there a place in my life where I need to repent? Is there something going on in my life, God, that doesn't align with your plan? And then communion reminds us about the death, the burial, and resurrection, forgiveness that we have in Jesus. And so as you partake today, uh, spend some time repenting, confessing, and receiving forgiveness from God today. Good morning. I'll try that again. Good morning. Glad to have you with us this morning at Center Point on this nice, beautiful day. You all, you all, uh, you all filled up second service this time. I think it's because of the weather. None of us want to get moving too quickly. We're glad that you are here. I want to encourage you to use your bulletin. Inside your bulletin is a connection card. Take a moment and just fill that out and place it in the offering basket. We ask everyone to use that card, and maybe you got a prayer request to share, or you want to sign up for something, or update some information. If you're new with us, maybe this is your first, second, third time at Center Point. that's just a beginning place to start getting connected with ministries and uh, fill that out when you're ready and then place that in the offering basket. Let me also say, if you're new, we have a guest gift for you. It's located by the exit doors on the way out. We'd love to have you pick one of those up just to thank you for being here this morning. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to speak to us through the preaching of his word. Father God, we, we gather in this place each week, Lord, and we come because we want to hear from you. We, we want a touch of Jesus. And Lord, uh, we receive that. And j- just singing those songs, and songs that are so powerful about you. And Lord, uh, prayer helps us get in touch with Jesus. And then the preaching of your word as we worship, Lord, uh, your scripture even says you use the foolishness of preaching to change lives. And I pray you do that in this place today, Lord. As we read Scripture, the Scripture will penetrate hearts and minds and souls. That, God, we would hear your word and we'd put it into action. That we would do it. That we wouldn't just hear it and say it sounds a good idea, Lord, but that we'd actually put it into action, apply it to life so that we keep in step with you and your direction for living. So, God, help us to hear from you today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Allow me to go back to last week and kind of just do a quick review with you. We started this new sermon series called You Got This. The idea behind this idea is you got this. You got this if you know how to work with your team that you have. We talked about teams last week and what's some of the greatest teams in sport and and what would be a great team that you're familiar with. Right now, this time of the year, you start thinking about teams. Maybe yesterday, because it was cold and nasty and wet, maybe you sat around watching some sports, uh, flipping maybe channels like I did, watching a little basketball, watching a little football. For some of you, your team won. For some of you, your team lost. Uh, some of you are waiting for the game this afternoon. What's my team going to do? You know, there's a lot of components that go into a team being a good team. There's a lot of components that go into a team being a great team. 
And my premise in this sermon series is this, is that we are part of the greatest team ever if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you are part of the greatest team ever that has existed, that will exist until the Lord returns. But do we know how to interact with that team? Do we know how to plug in with that team? Do we know how to draw strength from that team? Now, let's, let's review. I hope you all can do better in first service. Tell me who's part of that team. First and foremost is who? God, you guys are a little better. So, uh, second part of the team, Jesus. And the third part of the team, and who's the fourth part? We are. We are. You are. And then we are as a body, as the church. We're all part of this team. And as just as any team has to learn the fundamentals and how do I get better at my game or my sport or whatever I'm doing, we have to learn that. We have to be continually reminded, how do I get strong? It used to drive me crazy playing basketball, and we'd go, and what we do? Every practice, we'd shoot layups. And that got old. Every practice, we'd shoot free throws. That didn't help much. Every practice, repeat, 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 trying to get good as you work with your team. Well, there are some things that we need to do as Christians, as those who walk in Jesus Christ. There are some practices that we need to do, and we do them over and over and over and over and over and over as we try to develop or exercise that muscle and try to get stronger at working with our team. Now, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I'm just going to review the, the first half of Acts chapter 2. If you remember, Peter preached that great message. And I told you last week, I encourage you to go home and just read the entire thing and just, just grab onto that message where pre Peter preaches to a hostile crowd. And he preaches to a group of people who actually put Jesus on the cross, the religious leaders. And Peter stands up and points a finger at him and says, you did this. He blames them right where it was. I mean, there was no holding back at all. And, he just, and Peter was that strong-willed, hot-head kind of guy. And he just straight out told him, here, it's your fault. But then the interesting thing is when the text kind of turns there towards the end of the account or the story going on, where their hearts are finally convicted, where they start to recognize I'm wrong. Isn't it a great thing when someone comes to you when they've wronged you and they say, I've been wrong, or, or, I, or I treated you wrong? I mean, I love it like, like dealing with my kids. I mean, you want your kids to grow up to eventually own something they've done and for them to say, yeah, I was wrong in that. That's what they did. They come to Peter and they're like, we're wrong. And they're like, what must we do? They ask that question, what must we do? And Peter says, you got to repent, repent and be baptized. In other words, repent and turn your life to God. Repent, you know, own up to your wrong. That's a repentance, saying I was wrong and, and I'm sorry that I was wrong. What do I do? Now give your life to God. Give your life to Christ. Be a follower of his. And many have done that in this room. Now if you haven't done that, we would love to have that conversation with you. We'd love to help you on that journey. We're about helping people cross that line of faith and making that decision to understand and say, you know what, I want to be a follower of God. But these people became followers of God. And the interesting thing is 3,000 people on that day. Again, I said it last week, I would love to see some video recording of that and go back and go, 3,000 people? How did they baptize 3,000 people? I always wonder, was it a power of multiplication? Like the first person got baptized, and then they could turn around and start baptizing, and then they could start turning around and baptizing, and they're baptizing maybe 20 or 30 people. One time. I don't know how it happened. I'm not really sure. I have a lot of guesses. But 3,000 people. And so then the question you have to ask is, what do you do with 3,000 new babes in Christ? Could you imagine being part of a, uh, a hospital wing with 3,000 new babies? Woo-wee, that'd be hard work. 
How, how would you do that? What do you do with 3,000 brand new babes in Christ who just said, we're wrong, we repent, we accept God, baptize us, now you have the Holy Spirit, and they're sitting there going, now what? I'm glad that the text gives us the answers and shows exactly what they did. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the t- together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They went from big to small. That's what happened. They went from 3,000 who gave their life to Christ and said, well, if we're going to do this, we got to get into some smaller sections or small groups. Now, you think about this for a moment. That is not what we're used to. In our culture, we're taught that bigger is better, that bigger is stronger, and bigger is the best way to do things. But you stop and look at Scripture for a moment, and Gideon's army, in Judges chapter 7, God's strategy for victory was reduce the army from 30,000 <coughs> to 300. Now, we would think any general would be a fool to go into battle and say, you have 30,000, oh, let's reduce it to 300, now you go into battle. But God takes the small and makes the small mighty. You think about David and Goliath. I, I love that account. Here's, here's Goliath, this nine-foot giant, continually berating the armies and saying, listen, you guys can't take me out. I'm going to destroy you all. I'm going to tear you to pieces. And who comes out? All the, war, all the warriors, all the men in the military were terrified of him. And a small boy comes out and says, I'll take you out. I mean, you stop and think about it. He puts on the armor. He's like, take this armor off. I don't need this armor. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to fight this, this giant with the five stones that I have. I'm going to take him out because God is on my side. And God uses the small for him to destroy Goliath. Why? Because the small is mighty. Uh, Bethlehem would not be the place that most would think Jesus would be born. It's a small, little, quaint little town. It's, it's, it's less than one streetlight type town. This tiny little town, you would think if Jesus is going to be born, the Savior of the world is going to come, it would be like to a massive city. we got to go where there's millions. we got to go where there's thousands of people, millions of people, because we want the word to spread so fast. No, Jesus came to a small, little quaint little town in Bethlehem. The feeding of the 5,000. Again, another account just blows my mind. Here's Jesus with 5,000 people, and he's got to feed them. What does he do? He takes a boy's small lunch. Small lunch, it has five loaves and two fish, and he multiplies it, and he feeds the entire 5,000-plus people. And I love in the Scripture where it says they collected 12 basketfuls left over. I mean, continually, God does things totally opposite of what we expect. He goes and says, nope, it's not about the big. I'm going to move you to the small. Why? Because there's might and there's power in small. This is Scriptures in the book of Acts, in Acts 1 and Acts 2 and Acts 4 and Acts uh, 5 and Acts 6, Acts 21, record the amazing growth of the, the early church. And as you read through the book of Acts, you really start seeing, man, this church, when it took off, it just took off. It is believed that during the first 25 years, Jerusalem grew from about 120 people to over 50,000 people, 50,000 Christians. How do you possibly care for 50,000 Christians? How do you take care of them? How do you make sure that their spirits are being fed? How do you make sure physically the needs are being met? How do you make sure that they're growing in Christ? How do you make sure of that? 
Well, Acts shows us that they broke down into small groups. What do they do as people? Acts 5.42 tells us that they met day after day in a temple courts and from house to house. And from house to house. Uh, in, in the first church, the small groups were the basis for all the ministry and all the fellowship. It was a very normal thing in the book of Acts. That we'd come together in temple courts, we'd gather, but also we'd gather in smaller groups and house-to-house meetings. Now, I'd venture to say that if I said to you, listen, we're going to have a small group, and it is going to be at one person's home. Who's, whose home am I going to pick? It's Phil's home. It's Phil's home. Everybody's invited. We're having a small group over there. The entire church of Center Point. Come on, we're going to crowd their home. He may say, Brian, I, I like people, but I don't think they're all going to fit my home. That's why they were small groups. None of us could host this entire church. Center Point has about 350 people that call this place home. Could you imagine taking 350 people and saying, let's put them all into one home. Let's put them all into one home. That's not going to happen. And the other thing is, in, the, in that kind of setting, you're not going to get to know each other and, and share life together. And so they said, hey, there's a way to do this. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. We're talking about small groups today. I'm going to encourage you to sign up for a small group, but uh, we don't have, have enough room to put all of you into small groups. I'd love to see every single person in this church be part of a small group. You say, well, why can't we do it? Because we need more facilitators and we need more homes. We need more places where we could eventually one day, I I would love to have one day we say, you know what, we have 100% of our people in a small group somewhere. 100%. That that would be against the norm of what we see in church culture today. So let me just talk with you for a few minutes about the power that is in small groups. See, small groups are a powerful way to grow spiritually. Look at verse 42 and 43. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Let me ask you, can you grow spiritually without ever being in a small group? Think about that for a moment. Now, I would suppose you can. I would suppose it may be possible. But how can you know if you're growing spiritually unless you're interacting with other people? How can you measure that and go, hey, I'm really doing good in patience? Because if you don't get around other people, your patience is never tested. How, how, how do you ever know that if you're growing in, in wisdom, unless you get around other people and you study the Word with them, you go, wow, they really got some understanding that I don't have. So you don't know that unless you get into some other groups. So think of it this way. How do you know if you're good at a certain sport unless you go play that sport with other people? If I sit at home and I just shoot basketball out my driveway, and I shoot layups out my driveway, and I'm running around, and I'm pretending that I'm Michael Jordan or that I'm LeBron James, and I'm doing all the scoring, and I'm making the last-second shot. If I'm doing that with nobody else around, I'm great. Then go put me on the court. That's when you'll know how good you are. I remember when I was a youth minister in Finley, Ohio, I was playing a lot of ping-pong, and I thought, man, I'm pretty good at ping-pong, so I signed up for a ping-pong league. I went to this ping-pong league, I realized real fast I'm terrible at ping-pong. I thought I was good playing with the youth group kids. You know, I thought I was okay. But then you go get in this league, you're like, man, there's a lot of area of improvement before I'm ever going to be good at this sport. That's what happens in our spiritual life. So we think, well, I'm, I'm good. I've got it all together. I go to church. I sing some songs. I hear the sermon preached on Sunday. I go home. I'm good. I got it all together. You really don't know that until you get skin on skin and face to face and you start living life with some other Christians where you let them speak into your life. And then some things start to get revealed where maybe I, I need to grow here or, or I need to grow there. How can you know? See, let let me clarify something with you about small groups being a powerful way to grow spiritually. Small groups that are done right. 
Small groups that are done right are a powerful way to grow. By, by small group done right, what I mean is there's a healthy balance between Bible study, between fellowship, between ministry, between outreach, between worship, that a small group is not just a Bible study group. A, a small group helps us grow in fellowship, helps grow in doing ministry together, helps us in all these different areas. And that's what they had in Acts chapter 2. They ate together. They fellowshiped together. They did the apostles' teaching together. They did ministry together. And so a good balance of that will help, <coughs> help you grow. Now, what we have an idea of is of a small group is a lot of times we think of it as just a Bible study. We think we're, we're going to have a Bible study. We're going to study the Bible together. That should be part of your small group, but it's not the only thing. You say, well, why is that? Quite honestly, I think you can study the Bible without a small group. It helps to be around other people and study and bring uh, learning to that. But you can study the Bible on your own. There's Christian TV. There's radio station you listen to. There's all kinds of uh, helps on the Internet nowadays you can get into. There's all kinds of videos. You can study the Bible. But what you don't get by yourself is you don't get fellowship. You don't get someone looking at you and saying, how are you doing in this area? You don't get someone coming alongside you encouraging you. You don't get someone saying, hey, let's go do this ministry together. That's what happens in a small group. See, the small group is that place to grow spiritually. Going to a small group, it's kind of like being part of a gym. It's a place to exercise your spiritual muscles. First Timothy, Apostle Paul told Timothy, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holy promise for both the present life and a life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in a living God who is a Savior of all people, and especially those who believe. It's kind of a way to get the spiritual training, exercising together. I think most people understand if you're going to try to get better physically, usually that helps if you're walking with somebody. You say, hey, let's go on a diet and let's hold each other accountable. Or let's get to the gym and, and I'll meet you there at this time. That's what has helped me is meeting somebody else and doing it together because we're not made to live life in a silo situation. We're made to live life together. They knew that. When 3,000 came to Christ, they knew we can't just leave them. I mean, we don't want to do that with a baby. You wouldn't dare have a baby and set the baby on the, on the changing table and say, hey, good luck, change your own diaper. Hey, good luck, feed yourself. Hey, I hope you can walk. Don't fall off of that thing. We wouldn't dare do that. We, we're going to hold that baby and coddle that baby and care for that baby and feed that baby. And that's what we do as Christians. We continually do that for each other. A good small group helps you in every area of life from application to what's going on in life, to how do I walk through this journey and keeping my eyes fixed on our team, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Second part of small groups that's so powerful is that you grow relationally. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. It's relationships that's going on here. Everything's about relationship. Selling goods and possessions to help somebody who, who was in need. Meeting together in temple courts. Breaking bread together. That, that's eating together. With glad and sincere hearts. Praising God together. All about relationships. See, you can't really get to know other believers unless you're in a small group. Actually, the church gathering that gathers on Sunday is needed and it's biblical. But this is also a place where we can very much hide from God. So easy for someone to come in here, sit in one of these chairs, sing a couple songs, hear a sermon, and go home and do that over and over and over and over and over again in your life. And you do that year upon year upon year upon year. 
But when you get into a small group and you start to open up life, all of a sudden you can start to grow because this is an easy place to hide. Other believers can't get to know you unless you're in a small group. You know, this setup is really not the best setup because what happens is we sing and we stare at the back of each other's heads. Stop thinking about it for a moment. Where's the face-to-face interaction? Yep, you have a little bit of talking as you're coming in and a little bit of talking as you're leaving, but there's not the in-depth relationship that can come as you share in a small group. You consider marriage. Could you imagine if your marriage, the only time you spent time with your wife was maybe on Sunday mornings from about 10 to 12? What would do that? What would happen to that marriage? It would fall apart, for sure. It, it, would not, it would not succeed because you've got to spend time in relationships. That's what the small group does. It helps the church get into relationships. All the believers were connected in small groups. Everyone's needs were being met. One of the challenging things as a preacher is sometimes when you hear about somebody having a need or, or falling through the cracks, so to speak, and my first question is, are they part of a small group? If so, we've got to contact that small group, and a small group needs to reach out and minister to them and love on them and care for them. But if you're not in a small group, it's easy to fall through the cracks of the church. It's easy to fall through and not be cared for because as believers need small groups. What, what needs do I have that only being in a small group can meet? Let me tell you just a few things that a small group can meet. The need for accountability. Every one of us have a need to accountability. We, we need people to ask us, how are you doing? And when you say, how are you doing? How are you doing physically? How are you doing with your health? How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing mentally? How are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing raising your kids? How are things just going? Galatians 6.1 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. How are you doing in your walk with God? How are you doing in some sin issues? That's what happens in a small group. And then the great thing is a small group is not supposed to put you in the middle of a room and beat you. They come alongside you. They encourage you. They walk with you. We need encouragement. You and I need encouragement. I'd venture to say that maybe the place where you work is probably not a great place of encouragement. Now, maybe you're in a great place. You're like, man, they encourage us all the time. Maybe the school system you're in is not a great place of encouragement. We struggle to have encouraging things around us. You turn on the news. You turn on the Internet. You read stories of what's going on in this world. It's a very discouraging place. But Hebrews 10 tells us, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in a habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. When you get in a group, that's supposed to be a place of encouragement. I know for me there's been times when I go to a group and I'm thinking, I don't want to go today. I don't really want to spend the time. And I walk out of there going, man, I am so glad I went. The encouragement was there. The, the camaraderie, the love, the fellowship was there. And then the need for ministry opportunities. It's impossible to be a lone range, lone range Christian, lone ranger, that you just do it all by yourself. See, we have good intentions. Oh, I'm going to go and serve at the school. I'm going to go help out at the soup kitchen. I'm going to go do this kind of ministry. Many times with good intentions, they'll fall short, especially when we're thinking about doing it by ourselves. But when your small group embraces the idea that we teach around here is that all small groups should be doing some kind of ministry in the city, loving on people, caring about our community, and your small group says, we're going to go tackle that together. There's some accountability. Say, all right, I'll be there with you. I'll go help you at the, at the ladies' shelter, or I'll go help you over at the camp, or I'll go help in the neighborhood with that project. And so you do that together. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us the Holy Spirit displays God's power through each of us as a means of helping the entire church. He wants us using our gifts. And when you get involved in a group, there's more opportunity to use your gifts. Thirdly, small groups 
our powerful way to grow numerically. 247, Acts 247 says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, can a church grow numerically without small groups? I suppose it could. I suppose it could do something and, and make that happen. But if God were looking for a church to lead people to where people would be cared for, people would be uh, cared for spiritually and mentally and physically and with all their needs being met because of what I see in the book of Acts, I personally believe God's going to lead people to churches where groups are functioning, where healthy small groups are functioning. And notice that the Lord added to their number daily. It wasn't just a Sunday thing. Those groups become so strong that they start reaching out to their neighbors. Hey, you come with me. Hey, you come with me. And all of a sudden, those neighbors get to know who the Lord is, and they see a healthy, functioning community as God intended the community to be. See, small groups are a powerful way to grow numerically because the majority of the outreaches that we hope to do come through the small group. For instance, one of the strong outreaches that, that we started several years ago began in a small group was the backpack ministry where we started like five backpacks. It's now grown. We're giving out 30 backpacks each week. And that has grown. We're now an entire body working together to make that happen. But it started in a, in a small group. Each small group needs to be thinking creatively. How can I have an impact in my community? How can I go out and love my community? Because God can often do more with a few people than he can do with many. He loves to work the mighty through the small. Let me, let me wrap up this morning by drawing your attention to the brochure that's on your chairs. Uh, we've made a little bit of adjustment to some of our groups this year, but there's a brochure. looks like this. It has all of our groups listed. For a long time, we've been, the last four or five years, we've been focused on growth groups, and they are still, I would say, the backbone of our group's ministry. But we've expanded our group's ministry. Let me just tell you, in case you're maybe new around here to understand how some of the groups work, our growth groups study what I'm preaching on Sunday. So when we start groups up here the first week of February, in your bulletin will be a study guide that you can take home, do some personal study on the topic. So if I preach on the topic of love, that study guide will be on the topic of love. The idea is you study some of that home, and then you take it to your growth group, and you go and you talk about it, and you engage with that, with that topic. Because what we know is if you hear it preached, and you engage with it by yourself in your own personal study, and then you talk with other people in your group, there's a greater chance of that having an impact in your life and some change taking place. And so growth groups, you see them all listed there. There's 11 different growth groups that are meeting. Um, the sign-up table is out in the lobby. And then this semester, what we're doing a little bit different is we have a group of uh, women's groups. Many of you are here Friday night for the Adorned event, but there are five different women's groups that are going to be studying uh, basically the topic of mentoring, how mentoring younger women to uh, younger women and older women, mentoring relationships. And so they're studying that together. There's five different times that you could choose and plug into a group. I think most of you would say, man, we do need some time where it's lady to lady. We need some time where it's man to man. And so we're going to start developing some of those things here as time goes and uh, here at the body of Centerpoint. And then we have a men's group that meets on Tuesday morning, uh, 7 a.m., spending time praying over the church, spending time in God's Word. One of the guys asked me, he said, Brian, why don't we have more men's groups? I said, because I need you to step up and lead. They just looked at me. That's the fact of our church right now, guys. We need some men that will step up and say, I'd love to lead a men's group. Let's get together and let's talk about it. Let's figure out what that looks like for the body of Centerpoint. Because there's, when we get healthy balance of men's groups and women's groups and, and groups that include both singles and men's, and uh, it's just going to be really good when it starts happening and we get the great balance of that. Now, let me say, on growth groups, sometimes I get the question, well, which of this group is for seniors? And which of this group is for the young couples? And which of this group is singles? I'll just tell you, we don't, we don't put groups together that way here at Centerpoint. 
Matter of fact, the most impactful time I've ever been in a group was when I was 12 years old. Matter of fact, I think I'm in ministry today because of a group when I was 12 years old. Small groups didn't even really exist. People didn't know, didn't know that terminology back then. My mom and dad signed up to be part of a small group, and they weren't going to leave me home by myself. So they said, come on, you're going with us. And I would sit in a small group with several ages of people in there, and they would love on Brian Bolton. They'd, they'd allow me to read the scripture out loud or all the extra food. Hey, Brian will eat it, and they just push it all my way, you know. Um, they just put their arms around me and loved me. Those people loved me through Bible college and loved me in my ministry years. It's because there was a spread of ages in there. No family has just young people. No family has just grandmas and grandpas. And so what we try to do is, because we think the church is a family, we like to see groups get mixed. The senior citizens need to be with the 20-year-olds. 20-year-olds need to understand a senior citizen life, and a senior citizen needs to understand what's going on in 20-year-old life. And so that's the best kind of groups. And so our groups are are mostly mixed of ages. Now, I must say, birds of a feather do flock together. Uh, So I don't have control to say, well, that's got mostly 50-year-olds or 60-year-olds and move them all around. They're aware of that, and they try to balance out their groups, but some of the groups do kind of slant one way or another. But the best groups are when there's a good mix of ages, and so we try to mix up ages, marrieds and not marrieds. There's some groups where there's some single people, and they're like, I love this. Just being an all-singles group or, or an all-married group. And so all of our groups, so you can talk to the leaders uh, and find out a little bit more details of the group. But the sign-up tables are out there. We're signing up this Sunday, the next two Sundays, and then all groups will be starting here uh, early February or, or late January. So... Church, as we talk about this and continue on this journey, how do I plug into my team? How do I plug into God? How do I plug into Jesus? How do I plug into Holy Spirit? How do I grow with this team? What I see from the early church is you must be in a group. Must be in a group. You say, must be. I can't tell you it's a command of Scripture, but it's the model of Scripture. It's the way that Jesus set it up. It's the way God put his church together. And so, church, I would challenge you and really encourage you to think and pray, God, when and where? Now, sometimes what happens is, well, man, my life is so busy. I'm running the kids here. I've got this going on. I've got that going on. How can I possibly make a group fit? I would say if it's that busy, you don't have time for a group, then maybe carve something else out of your life so you can put a group in your life. If your desire is, I want to grow with God. I want to grow with Jesus. I want to grow with the Holy Spirit. I want to be strong in my walk with God.